Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail, and today I'm joined by... Brendan Norrison, and we've got another episode for you guys lined up today. Um, recently we've had a lot of modern racers to talk about, Adam. It's been a um, bit of a different spin for us, but we thought we would uh, bring it back down to Time Extend Earth by... Well, we're looking at Sega arcade racing games again, and I couldn't be more psyched about it. Yeah, it's been a while since we've talked about... First of all, something old, and second of all, uh, something related to a Sega racing game. And uh, today we're not even talking about one, but we're talking about three. Uh, and we're talking about yes. a subject that we haven't touched upon yet, because our, our Sega podcasts in the past have been based around the Dreamcast and the racing games on the Dreamcast. But today we are expanding that to talk about three arcade racing games. And the... Uh, reason we've chosen these games is because they are all based around sports car GT racing. Uh, and those would be Sega Touring Car Championship, Scud Race, or Super GT, and Le Mans 24. And these are just three interesting games because they take a different, a unique approach to more or less the same discipline. You know, Touring Cars versus GT, fine, but similar style of racing. Uh, and they all couldn't be more different. And the story of how they kind of came to be is pretty interesting. Maybe not in isolation, because as old racing games, there's not an abundance of facts about these games out there, but just kind of how they fit into the broader uh, scope of everything that Sega made and what these creators would go on to do, because uh, the, the people that were behind these games are not what you would call, uh, you know, automotive or motorsport enthusiasts. They, they, they make different games now, so... <laughs> In, in, even in that sense, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think as well, when, when you're thinking about Sega's arcade racing lineage, uh, Scud Race is obviously right up there, but I think like Sega Touring Car Championship, for example, is more fondly remembered uh, by some for the soundtrack. And uh, Le Mans 24 Hour is um, it's definitely the least popular of the three, I would say, in terms of people who've played it, in terms of people who would go on to enjoy it. <laughs> And then even from a soundtrack perspective, when we get to it, we can talk about a, a very different type of Sega arcade racing game, let's put it that way. Yeah, these are three very, very different games. So with that said, uh, let's let's just head right into it, because I have a sense this one's going to go on for a while. <laughs> and we'll start, we'll, we'll, we'll do this in chronological order. So so first we will start with Sega Touring Car Championship. Now, it's, it's worth pointing out that like, the games that we're going to talk about, they're pretty much only separated by two years. I mean, all of these games came out within the space of... Actually, technically within the space of a year. Uh, the, the difference is that they were being worked on concurrently by different teams. They also all had very short development cycles, uh, at least from what I could gather. So it just kind of speaks to the fact that this was a very different era. Games did not take anywhere near as long to develop as they do today. And I think being arcade games, they were very focused uh, on kind of a singular thing. So uh, there, there wasn't a lot that could kind of delay the process. But Sega Touring Car Championship uh, was on the Sega Model 2 board, the 2C CRX revision, which I think was the last version of that board. And it came out in September 96 in Japan. The producer, director behind this was Tetsuya Mizuguchi. Uh, who was running the AM Annex team, and whether you are listening to Time Extend and you like racing games, or you are listening to the show for the first time and you don't know who this guy is, you 
probably encountered his work before because while we originally knew him for making Sega Rally, uh, he's gone on to so much more kind of widely known and prolific things from Space Channel 5 to Res and uh, Child of Eden and most notably Tetris Effect. So this guy is not a, you know, motorsports racing game developer by trade yeah. necessarily. I mean, he did work on a lot of racing games for Sega, but it was never his core passion. He kind of just sort of fell backwards into it. And that's not to say he didn't care, because obviously he puts immense uh, effort into everything he does, uh, judging by his output. But, you know, kind of like how Lewis Hamilton likes to do a lot of other things besides racing, that, that's kind of the sense <laughs> I get from Tetsuya Mizuguchi. He's a very uh, multi-talented guy. Yeah, and I think for him, um, regardless of genre of game, what he, he really looks for is the chance to kind of impose his style or his interpretation of the type of game being made in a, in a way that he can feel proud of. Um, and I think that's what's interesting about Sega Touring Car Championship, because when you're restricted to that kind of circuit-based racing with a fully licensed roster of cars, and that, that closed-circuit kind of game it doesn't really lend itself to, to much that he could do in terms of like you think about Sega Rally for example I mean that's just a masterpiece in terms of like he took the flow of Rally and made it this cool jazzy thing how do you do that with circuit racing and especially on a, a constrained development window yeah and, and what I love about uh, Tetsuya Mizuguchi is that he kind of takes this very globalistic view to the projects he creates where he kind of strips it down to its bare essence and just thinks in very broad terms like how can this feel good and like he doesn't like yeah you know i i i think he has the attention of detail and sega rally notably he he's talked about in the past how that was one of the first games that um games before licensed cars but that was one of the first games that had a very deep relationship between the developers of the project and the car manufacturers in the form of Toyota and Lancia. So he, he does care about the details, but I think he he's such an interesting and um, sort of unparalleled creator because like he's not overly concerned with, you know, how the nuances of like this car should handle based on how it handles in real life. Like he's just focused on doing what <laughs> feels good. And I think the more I've thought about it and doing and doing the research uh, around these games, uh, for, unfortunately, Sega Touring Car Championship is not one of them. But in doing the research around these games, I've realized that some of my favorite racing games actually uh, ever have come from people who, um, you know, maybe aren't aren't into cars or into motorsports originally, uh, because they just they don't get bogged down in the details. They just kind of do what feels right. And uh, you know, Sega Rally is a great example of that. Unfortunately, uh, STCC is not a great example of that. Um, yeah, it's... It's a bit of a weird one. It's one of the, the few... Yeah, it's 100%. It's one of the few Sega racing games I've played. And like usually within that kind of first hour with a Sega arcade racing game, you're like, right, okay, this is the, the parameters of how, how I'm to drive. This is how I'm going to have the most fun. Um, I played Sega Touring Car Championship for many, many hours after that first hour, and I'm still not exactly sure what way it wants me to play the game. It's um, it's just, it 
it has a very distinct style, but I don't mean that in a positive sense. Yeah, th- there's nothing else that drives like it. But before we get into yeah. exactly, you know, why the game is so kind of polarizing with its handling, uh, just some some notes on the background. So as as we were saying before, you know. Mizuguchi's the kind of guy who sees something and that inspires him. So in this case, uh, while he was working on Max CT Superbike, which is a, a very good motorcycle game, uh, he came across some DTM footage, and I just love how like he, you know, he, he's not he's not a racing guy, so he didn't know about it. So he saw yeah. DTM footage, and he was like, "Wow, like everything is like so." like the, the the battles are so close and you have a lot of action cars hang each other obviously that's something that is not uh, a factor in rally racing and obviously not a factor in motorcycle racing so i think the contact and the close course nature of the racing and the speed of the action was what really drew him to it so based on that he wanted to make this game uh he also was inspired by the uh quote nationalistic battle atmosphere of the of the discipline of touring cars which i think is a wonderful way of putting it um the problem is that this game was i get the sense it's they 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 had the goals that they had but they weren't really equipped to get there and what i mean by that is you know sega rally obviously is a game that just feels natural to anyone who plays it for the first time with sega touring car championship even though the game plays nothing like a simulation for the time sega was trying to make a simulation they were trying to make a racing game that was more realistic than uh you know daytona or anything that had come before so this was very much a project based in a realistic atmosphere, ostensibly. Uh, they hired the uh, Formula Nippon and JGTC driver Naoki Hattori uh, to test drive the game and offer feedback. It didn't really help. Um, and and in, the, <laughs> in the sort of retrospective uh, that Tetsuya Mizuguchi gave on not just this, but his entire career to Eurogamer uh, a couple of years ago, he was talking about it. And uh, he, he had the following to say, and I just think this is a very interesting quote. He goes, <laughs> he goes, that was terrible for me. We tried to make something professional. <laughs> With Sega Rally, there was a beautiful alliance, but this was a circuit racing game and we had no time to create it. It was only four months. For many reasons, after Sega Rally Championship, our mission was to make this new game in four months. That was very tough and crazy. I was so exhausted. <laughs> and then he... um. He, he goes on to talk about uh, just the fact that, like, this was sort of the beginning of his disillusionment with this genre. Um, and, and he said in this interview, there is a future path of this genre, and that all lies in engineering. But that was not my future path. Pursuing the realness in racing games was not my career goal. In the middle of developing Sega Rally 2, I decided that this was going to be it for me. There was a big, big future for racing games, but hand on heart, did I want to do that? No, it's not my job. You know Yamauchi-san. He's doing a great job. He's the right person. I'm not like Yamauchi-san. He's so car-obsessed, I'm not. Which I just love that he calls out Kaz. (laughs) It's like, this is the guy who should be making these games, (laughs) not me. It's just so, it's so sweet. uh, And you can just feel the respect there. But yeah, I just find this game to be so interesting. uh, Just for the conditions under which it was made and how it turned out. For sure. And I think as well, that that quote, the kind of the second one from Eurogamer, it's really interesting because 
it basically, or the two quotes together really kind of paint the picture of what would actually happen as well, way down the line, that there was that kind of, after this game, there were still arcade racing games that were definitely embedded in gameplay over car mechanics or vehicle handling in any sort of realism. But if you consider that to the, the kind of the state of play now, the majority of games are about that as as he called it engineering. It's all about the even if you're an arcade game, your car should still simulate a car to a certain degree. So it's curious seeing that even back then it was clear the pathway that would take over, especially since once again Gran Turismo just kind of set that in motion. Yeah, and it he saw all of this coming. That's the amazing thing. And I actually, um, yeah. I saw another interview. We're going to talk about uh, Scud Race next, which deals with a different longtime Sega developer. Um, and and this wasn't related to Scud Race. It was related to Daytona 2. But I, I saw an interview in Daytona 2 with uh, Toshiro Nagoshi, and he had said that sort of like the... He, he, I don't think he put in the exact same terms as engineering that Mizuguchi does, but he did say something to the effect of like, you know, the future of racing games or, or something that inspires me for the future of racing games is like Gran Turismo because, you know, this is 98. And he's like, that's not really what we're trying to do. And I don't really know to what extent people are still here for this, but we're, we're doing our thing. And you can just see kind of the whole gaming landscape gravitate award, uh, away from this kind of experience. And not just in terms of racing games, but just like towards a more simulation mentality in general. And I mean, it's kind of sad for us because yeah. these are games that we love, but it, it makes sense, uh, you know, especially today with the gamut of sim titles that are out there. So to, to bring it back to Sega Touring Car Championship for a bit, um, Oh, first of all, I do want to say that uh, part of those quotes was from an episode of Retronauts where Jeremy Parrish interviewed Tetsuya Mizuguchi. And if you have uh, any interest in this game or this man, then you absolutely should if you're listening to the show, uh, go seek out that episode. It was from like two years ago, and it's just one of the most fascinating. I mean, he talks about how he like basically like walked into Sega one day and asked for a job, and that's how he got his job. Like, it's, wow. it's an incredible story, um, his whole career. Yeah. But... Anyway, so part of the, I guess we, we shouldn't talk about the soundtrack, right? We should we should probably go into the physics at this point. <laughs> yeah, we should. I mean, I think that in terms of the, the Sega Touring Car Championship soundtrack, it is very much. In terms of music, one of the more distinct Sega arcade racing games, and also it just has every single track in the game is pretty much an absolute banger that you would listen to at any given time. Um, th this is partly helped by the fact that Avex Tracks did work with Sega on the game, so for people who aren't familiar, they did like the initial D soundtrack, uh, they, they kind of worked with a lot of European artists on techno and kind of house music, and or trance specifically we should say for this era, and honestly, like, Don't Drop Me <laughs> is one of my absolute favourites, Adam, I, I'm not sure what would you'd consider your favourite. So I think my favourite is probably Are You Wake Up, but uh, yeah. it's interesting because part of the soundtrack was sourced from, from Avex Tracks, which was on like the, the bleeding edge of, you know, whatever was trending in clubs and stuff at this time, and then you also have the uh, trance, you know, disc uh, metaphorical disc which yeah. is basically like there's a separate grouping of songs in the game where Sega kind of sourced uh, music they, they basically put out an open request 
two artists and were like, hey, if you want, you know, underground artists, if you want your song in this racing game where we're looking for something that's like, you know, trance and, and has that vibe and kind of melds well with the Avex tracks uh, songs. And so they have uh, a couple of songs in the game from just like small time artists in Japan at the time. Uh, one of those is Rising High, which is probably uh, d definitely definitely one of my favorites in the game, and probably my favorite of the of the songs from the from the small artists that they found. But um, yeah, this game is just the the soundtrack is has a lot to do with with why it's remembered so fondly because I think it's one of those things that like it just stands out in in a game that in an experience that unfortunately doesn't quite hit the the high watermark that you would expect so it's one of those games that's best enjoyed by listening to as opposed to playing <laughs> for sure i think um the soundtrack leaves an impression almost immediately but the sheer contrast and the quality of the the soundtrack compared to the the gameplay is pretty startling because like like we've kind of alluded to so far there just doesn't seem to be a a, a general vibe or, or style to feed off of on this game the cars are very erratic they they look incredibly quick which gives the illusion of excitement but whenever you actually try and control them it's just an absolute crapshoot basically yeah i mean so, so you have four touring cars in this game they're all like 1995 dtm touring car well three of them are and then you have a Castrol Tom Super thrown in there for good measure, <laughs> but the other ones are, uh, you know, an Alpha, the Mercedes, and the uh, the Opel Calibra. And in this game, these cars hit over 200 miles per hour, which makes no sense because that's not something that touring cars do. Certainly not that time. Uh, it is exceptionally fast, and you know, this is one of those games uh, where I will, you know, I've tried to play it myself, be it via you know the saturn port which unfortunately is not a good port or you know playing the model 2 version via an emulator or something like that and, you know I, I don't think i was ever able to play this game in an arcade so i never actually played the cabinet but you know it, it never felt right to me because it it kind of goes between just these like the the car is moving very fast it's very hard to control and like some slight searing input will kind of have it skid and turn a little bit but but the line between slight steering and like moderate cornering and just full lock the car is now sideways drifting is very very small <laughs> and it's really hard to play in that space and you know maybe it's easier with the wheel but honestly like i went on youtube when i was doing doing this re research and i <laughs> I was watching footage of people playing the game. I'm like, this still doesn't look right to me. Like, it, I just don't ever think that I could be good at this. Um, it just something about the way this game moves. It's very fast, but it's not smooth. That's especially true if you're playing the Saturn one because it only goes at like 20 frames per <laughs> second. And it's yeah. just, it's hard. I mean, the people who are good at this game, like, more power to you because I, I just can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, most of my experience, funnily enough, was on the PC port. So, yeah, <laughs> that that's even that that is probably not the ideal way to play this game. I've played it in the arcades as well and on the Saturn, but the majority of my time is on the PC port. Like like you say, it just seems as if the car's either at full lock or not. And 
for as much as I've tried to understand how I should be driving, the best lines to take, the best ways to cut time down, truth be told, and maybe it sounds harsh, it just that the game doesn't ha doesn't feel fun enough for me to justify that at all. And I, I love in every Sega arcade racing game pretty much. Learning the fastest lines, seeing where I can shave milliseconds, seeing what I can do on certain tracks to get an edge. But in this game, I just never found that that kind of need or want to do that. Once I completed it, in terms of the main arcades, um, kind of stage by stage, I think that was when I was pretty much done with it, aside from going back every so often to try and convince myself that maybe it was just me that was really bad at playing the game. And there, there will be a few people, Adam, that probably think that we're just shit at it, but um, it, it's really not the case. It's just such a strange game to play, and it is, without a doubt, one of the Sega racers I've had the least fun playing. And I hate saying that because I loved I love everything about the game presentation wise. The car list is banging, especially with the bonus cars and the Saturn version. Uh it it just it doesn't tick the main box as far as a Sega arcade racer goes, and that is it needs to be fun to play. It's a shame because the uh, the Saturn port, uh, as you alluded to, has a lot of extra content in it. Um, you get two extra tracks, you get two extra cars from Sega Rally, uh, though you can only unlock those in a weird way, which which I'll explain in a second, but you, you get the Celica and the Delta. Um, you get a Sega, it's called the Sega Racing Proto, and it's basically a McLaren F1 with the back of like an NSX. It's a very strange looking car, but um, that's in this game. You have this uh, element called the, I mean, they call it AI but it's not AI it's basically like you if you own the Saturn backup cart you could basically use the additional memory to not sort of like run like an AI model like a drive tar or something like that but essentially store it so like you could have basically the way it was supposed to work is you would drive and the AI model would learn from your habits like a drive avatar and then it would be stored on the backup cartridge and then over time as you drove it would get better and you'd be able to race against it and then at a certain point you could actually use the AI to drive for you uh, in kind of like a weird b-spec way you weren't managing them but you know the AI you train could drive for you and if that AI becomes good enough to win the championship on its own you unlock the Sega Rally cars so it, it's this very interesting uh, you know sort of feature for the time uh, I, I just find it funny they call it AI because obviously today AI has a very different meaning and also it's it's also <laughs> my assumption that the other cars just had absolutely no artificial intelligence like your the the cpu cars probably just follow track i i don't think there's any intelligence there it's kind of like how they worked in the first ridge racer so uh i think i think it's pretty funny that they went so far as to do that um can't really speak to how well it works because i've barely had any experience with that feature but <laughs> kind of crazy for the time yeah, I mean, I wonder how they arrived at that for, like, the, the port when they were like, right, so we want to put it on the Saturn, we need to make sure the kind of content justifies the price, and they end up with that. Pretty weird. Yeah, it also supported Netlink play, but not, not for multiplayer, it was basically for uploading times, which, which would have been cool for, you know, 1997, and there were these global net events where, like, 
uh, on Christmas, for example, one of the track one of the tracks would turn into like a have a wintry theme and be covered in snow. And uh, on Valentine's Day, they turned one of the tracks into like some kind of like cone hitting challenge. And it's it's kind of strange. <laughs> the uh, the the April Fool's one's great because um, you race but backwards. So it. it I don't know if it's like a time trial, but like some of the cars are going in the opposite direction. So basically you have to not hit anyone coming at you, uh, even though you are still competing on the circuit, which is uh, definitely definitely not something that uh, I've ever seen in any other game and probably will be frowned upon. So yeah, Sega, Sega Touring Car is a is a weird one. I mean, I, I part of me wants to say that like if they did a better job with the port, uh, maybe we'd remember it better, but I think yeah. the source material just wasn't, you know, I mean, it, it, Mizuguchi admits it himself. It, it just wasn't what it needed to be. I think if we're going to give it any award, it would be the most obnoxious uh, attract mode in the arcades, potentially. It'd be up there. Um, the the kind of sudden, the sudden like loudness of those cabinets is something to behold in real life. Like, I remember... I was at a caravan park when I was younger, and there was like a Sega Touring Cars Championship cab, a Ridge Racer Type 5 Battle cab, and uh, some weird Namco uh, arcade cabinet where it took your, a photo of your face and you were on the car. Can't remember the name of it, the life of us. But like the, the Sega Touring Car Championship cab, you would just hear so high, absolutely blaring out <laughs> time after time. <laughs> And the, the transitions aren't even smooth whatsoever. And like it would all you would hear any corner of the arcade and you'd hear it and it's a noise I long for now as the days of arcades are gone past. But um yeah, I think if you worked in an arcade you would have just been jamming out to Evex tracks in your sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I would have to think so. <sighs> so so that covers that covers STCC. And uh, at this point, we should probably move on. Yeah. And talk about a game that I consider to be. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's the best arcade racer ever. I don't know if you can ob objectively say that. I don't know if it's possible, but in my opinion, it is. Scud Race, um, or Sega Super GT as we knew it here in the States. I really have to wonder, you know, in uh, in the UK, it, it, it was known as Scud Race as it was in the rest of the world. Did you ever yeah. look at the title? And I mean, I must, have, I must imagine that you were pretty young, but did you ever look at the title and you're like, that's kind of weird? <laughs> yeah, um, it was one of the, the frequent jokes made, especially because we're younger at the time, like Scud is used quite commonly in Scotland to mean naked. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, 
Scud race, naked race. Oh my <laughs> god, I didn't know that. Scud. That's hilarious. I... Yeah, that's it. Oh. We say in the Scud, and we're talking about somebody who'd be naked. Oh my god. <laughs> so, we, we were totally lost on it. Scud race. I remember, like, talking about it with, like, my dad, and then my gran would be like, What are you talking about? That sounds perverted. <laughs> it's just like. Oh. Scud race, yeah, it's a, it's a very strange name. Um. As in, in terms of like the slang here, it definitely left an impact, you could say. Yeah, that's incredible. So so in, in the US, <laughs> uh, and I'm going to assume the rest of North America, they they did not go with the name Scud Race because at the time, uh, <laughs> the word Scud was associated with the missiles that I think we were like dropping over the Middle East or something like that. So so not a good association for your arcade racing game. It's just supposed to be fun. And they went with the much better title of Sega Super GT, which I think everyone can agree is just... Honestly, I, I'm almost trying to unlearn Scud Race as the name of this game because while I understand and fully appreciate that it was the original name, I just don't want to call it that. Because like growing up, that wasn't it to me. But anyway, I mean, so, so Scud stands for... The reason it's called Scud Race is because Scud is actually an acronym for Sports Car Ultimate Drive, which was on the cabinet. If you look at the Scud Race cabinet, it does spell it out, which is pretty hilarious. So Yeah, I mean, I wonder why they ended up at that as the name, though. So strange. (laughs) Um, They should have just called it the full name without the the acronym. (laughs) It's just like the longest. Sports Car Ultimate Drive Race. Yeah, so so this was uh, released in December of '96, which means it came out uh, in Japan anyway. Uh, we we got it probably in the West, I would think, in '97. But that means it came out two months after, three months after um, Sega Touring Car Championship. And unlike STCC, which was on the Model Two board, this was on the Model Three board, the Step 1.5 revision. So at this point, Model Three had been used for like. Virtua Fighter 3 and I don't know what else but basically Virtua Fighter 3 so this was kind of like the second big Model 3 title and you know two or three months later you have this game that is a generational leap above anything that Model 2 was pushing and uh, this game was developed by AM2 which is the legendary Sega Arcade Studio uh, fronted by um, I mean AM2 is fronted by Yu Suzuki but this particular game Uh, like Daytona, was uh, developed by uh, Toshihiro Nagoshi at the helm. And the idea here, at the time this was kind of seen like a Daytona sequel, but uh, he made it clear, and this is from from an Edge interview uh, back when the game came out, I actually have this this issue, I'm lucky enough, because my brother brother collected these magazines. And uh, he said that Daytona was based on American sport. I wanted to make a game that would be accepted worldwide, which is, I mean, this this was the heyday, right, of of sports car GT racing, you know, at yeah. Le Mans, stuff like that. You had the McLaren F1, you had the Ferrari F40, the Porsche 911, and the Dodge Viper. Those are the four cars in this game. And then of course, you had all the other stuff in the world going on, like the uh, the CLK GTR and, and a bunch of our cars. So this was a really exciting time for sports car racing so to me scud race is intertwined with that it is it hit at the perfect time sure because if this game came out five or ten years later i mean it'd probably still be great but it's just like this this was like the mclaren f1 was just such a force and 
this game is part of the reason I think why the McLaren F1 is one of my favorite cars ever, and I, I would go so far as to make that assumption for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. I even think the the Golf livery as well. I think for a lot of people that might have been the first exposure to that, especially for for younger um, players. Yeah, it's definitely um, like in terms of legacy and impact. I actually I remember I was out shopping. And I seen like a McLaren F1 like pencil case that was shaped like the McLaren F1 with the golf livery, and I, I fucking loved the thing to bits purely because of Scud Race. Wow. Yeah, it and it also has to be said that running on Model Three, this game was just the best looking thing that you've ever seen. I yeah. mean, look, I I was too young at the time. I don't remember the first time I saw Scud Race, but I do remember seeing Scud Race probably when I was like seven or something and and maybe maybe eight years old something like that seeing it in uh this kind of arcade slash like sports complex for kids and it's if you were a kid and you loved cars you saw that cabinet you saw the mclaren f1 on the screen and the fact that no game on the home console looked that good even on the dreamcast nothing looked that good it was it was a sight to behold it was just I, I still think like it's one of those rare 3D polygonal games that like ages really well. Doesn't have a lot of polygons. It did for a time, but just like something about like the hyper reflectiveness of it, uh, the smoothness, yeah. the way the cars move. They they do that Daytona thing where they just shake a lot all the goddamn time. Uh, it's just so amped. It's it's so exciting and it just draws you in. Yeah, it's just it's such a super clean looking game that you could play it any time. And it will still look fantastic. Like if they were ever to remaster this, if we were ever so lucky, um, all you would literally need to do is upscale the resolution, and I still think it would look absolutely perfect. Um, yeah. The thing you say about the car shaking as well—it sounds so silly, like talking about it by just saying it's literally car shaking. But when you see it in motion, it just adds that level of excitement and it draws attention to what's happening on. Screen. This game does a really good job, uh, kind of like Daytona, of just making feel, making you. You know you're in control, but all of the visual information being thrown at you suggests that you're not in control, and that just makes the game very exciting. <laughs> but it's not actually that yeah. hard. I mean, you know, two of the cars are particularly hard to drive, but the other two aren't. So, so basically, um, in trying to make this game, uh, AM2 wanted to change the team responsible so it didn't feel too much like Daytona. And they weren't able to do that. So, so basically, the same crew that worked on Daytona One worked on this game. Uh, and Toshihiro Nagoshi, uh, who I haven't said yet, you know, Tetsuya Mizuguchi is the guy who made all, you know, all of those kind of music games I talked about before. Toshihiro Nagoshi is the guy behind Yakuza. So, you know, if you if you like Yakuza <laughs> wow. these days, this is the dude, uh, the guy who made um, Daytona One, this, and Daytona Two, F Zero GX. Uh, and then after kind of he stopped at racing games, uh, Super Monkey Ball, he was responsible for Super Monkey Ball. And uh, and yeah, now he just makes Yakuza games. So he is he is a really cool guy. Uh, he he apparently uh, went all the way to Marinello to visit Ferrari to get their, you know, uh, permission to use the F40 in the game. And he he said at the time that the, uh, the visit uh, didn't, go as well didn't work out as well as he expected um and I, I don't really know what that means but i i'm assuming that yeah. they didn't reach a deal and then 
you know, someone on Sega got on the line with somebody over over at Marinello and was like, listen, we're Sega. It's 1996 or 95. We have a <laughs> lot of money to throw on this, so just name your price. We'll do it. Because, you know, obviously the, the F40 ended up making it into the game, so. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what really turned them off. I wonder if it was just how audacious everything looked and, like, Ferrari were like, this isn't real racing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it should also be said that this game uh, was licensed by the BPR Global GT Series, which is basically the uh, yeah. the forerunner, the predecessor to the FIA GT Series that would come later on. Uh, so, this game was very much steeped in, um, you know, real motorsports, uh, at least as far as the cars were concerned, but the tracks were ridiculous. And there was this desire to make tracks that were... Uh, not just visually appealing, but instantly recognizable. Uh, so the there are four tracks in the game, and the advanced one, which is based uh, based in North America, you're kind of, uh, or actually probably Central America, because it has a lot of like um, you're kind of driving through like Aztec ruins and stuff like that. Nagoshi described that as basically being inspired by Indiana Jones, uh, which is just like such an interesting thing to. Um, to, to be like, I'm going to make a racing game and I want this to remind you of a Hollywood movie, but also we're using like, real cars from actual GT racing. It's just <laughs> it's just such a, a melding of different things, you know? Uh, and he said, simple ideas associated with the high-end Model 3 board are the basics of Super GT. So, it was very much this uh, concerted effort to just make a game that was very immediate to grasp and understand and dazzle. Not kind of make it too difficult to parse out make it exactly the kind of game that you would see from across the arcade and be like that looks cool i want to play that and it, it fully succeeded <laughs> at that yeah for sure i think um the thing about scud race that always interests me whenever i play it is the idea that it, it actually has a very easy to play kind of feeling when you first start it up but the more that you start to realize how you go quick in the game that's when you really kind of see the depth that the handling engine has. And it's probably one of the Sega arcade racers that best strikes that balance, I would say. Yeah, it's interesting because Daytona 2, um, there were handling differences between the cars, but they were more subtle. But I feel like all of the cars in Scud Race handle completely differently. I mean, uh, the Porsche is really responsive, but obviously doesn't have a very high top speed. The Ferrari is very balanced, yep. uh, not quite as much grip as the 911, but, but you know, I, I think probably the car that most people gravitate towards if they want to drive fast but not have too much of a difficult time. The Viper is, uh, it, it's the one that is marked as having high <laughs> torque, so it's just, it's just ridiculous. Like, it just... Avoid. Yeah, it's just, it, I mean, it, I, I find it fun, but it's hard to be fast with the Viper. Whereas the... The McLaren, it's interesting because I feel like there's not that much of a difference between the McLaren and the Viper. Just the McLaren just has a higher top speed uh, and is a little bit more composed in the corners, but still pretty ridiculous. So, you know, if you're more of a beginner, you'll gravitate towards a Porsche and the Ferrari. If you're more of an expert, you'll gravitate towards the Viper and uh, and the McLaren. And they, they just all have their own personality. Uh, Nagoshi described the handling as... Um, Strong but not hard, which is a very interesting way of putting it. I, I basically I think what he means by that is like you know we weren't trying to make the game 
difficult per se. We were just trying to make it um, very visceral and just just have a very yeah. tactile uh, experience that you know really made you feel like you were trying to tame this beast. But actually, wasn't that difficult in the grand scheme of things unless you went for one of those higher powered cars. Yeah, I just remember any time I tried to drive the Viper, I was always just way out of my, my depth. I used to always choose the, the Ferrari F40. That was my vote. Yeah, I, I couldn't help but always choose the F1 because it was it was the McLaren F1 and it was in the right colors, as you said. Yeah, that's fair. It's very fair. And the uh, there was an expansion called Scud Race Plus. Uh, I won't go too much into that. It has this really weird... Uh, super beginner track where you're you're riding on a, yeah. a toy track on the floor of a playroom in the house and it's very strange there was supposed to be a home port for this game uh but it just basically kept getting kicked down the curb uh at first it was maybe going to be on the saturn at the time there were rumblings that there would be a saturn 3d add-on cartridge that was going to also run virtua uh virtua fighter 3 that never happened so that became more of a dreamcast thing it was a tech demo on Dreamcast, but then that also never happened. The Tomb Raider people may have been briefly responsible for making a port, but it didn't come to pass. So I had this really sort of uh, uh, difficult road. I, I think they wanted to bring one of their major arcade hits home, but they just couldn't find uh, the right time to make that happen, uh, especially in the launch of a new console. So they just kind of aborted it, which is why this is like... This along with Daytona 2 is one of those like... Uh, holy grail sort of uh, forbidden fruits of um sega arcade racers because it never came home so so the best you have oh. of it is uh those bonus tracks in outrun 2 or you know get get your supermodel emulator and play it that way that's really all you get that's just so depressing man like to think there's not a, a scud race home port and there probably never will be I mean, we talk about it all the time, just because it's only a few licenses that need to be attained. I think the amount of work that goes in the background is just clearly something that uh, Sega aren't really interested in at the moment, in terms of bringing that to a modern console. We, we can dream. <laughs> yeah, at this point, it, I'm sure it's a license thing, and with BPR not being a thing anymore, that, that was believed to be part of the reason why this game didn't make it was because the the series ended in like 97 we actually we, we did an episode um a while ago on on unreleased racing games and we did talk about the uh the super gt uh scud race home port for a bit um probably yeah. longer about the port we than did. we did about the actual game as we are now and <laughs> y you know we're, we're we're i forgive the speed of this because i feel like i'm talking very fast and dropping a lot of information but uh it's just like <laughs> It's one of those games I have a really hard time talking about because it's so important to me, and I, I have a I have a difficult time explaining why I love it so much because it's just it ends up being overcome with like <laughs> just endless platitudes about how much I love this game and how perfect the handling is. But I have a hard time explaining why. It just anytime I saw this game in an arcade, it made my day as a kid. And like if I saw. You know, if I found myself in one of the few arcades that exists in the world anymore, and I saw I saw a Scud Race cabinet today, it would make my day, and it would probably make my week because it just makes me so happy. I mean, I haven't played one of these machines in ten years. I think uh, I think the last time was probably 2009 or 2010. So it's just it's just really special to me. 
I've not seen one in a long time. But like you were saying there about it being your, your absolute favourite, I think, especially when it comes to Sega games, I always feel as if like there are, there are games that you can talk about from a mechanical perspective and how great they are, from a presentation perspective, how great they are. But very few games just have that feeling of pure joy when you play them. And it sounds like that's basically what you're explaining, just that idea that you can turn it on at any point really and you'll get that satisfaction from it and I mean that's no mean feat and it really highlights how important Scud Race was in the kind of Sega backlog of arcade racers and also where it kind of gives us a glimpse into where perhaps they might have taken the development of those arcade racers if that it was still a popular choice to develop them because obviously this is probably one of the last absolute greats that Sega made for the arcades, I would say. In terms of like, what would come next would mostly be sequels and that type of thing, but this is just a kind of a nice standalone arcade racer. What I love about it is just that it, to me it's the perfect midpoint between being a car enthusiast and loving motorsport and loving this period in racing and also you know, the, the theatrics uh, and the tight, responsive gameplay of, like, an arcade Sega racer. It's just, it's everything I love. It's You, you have the world of motorsport on one side, and then you have, you know, Sega Arcade on the other. And it's just, it just goes very well. It, it doesn't seem like a game with four real cars <laughs> licensed from a real series, uh, you know, with real liveries and everything, racing around airports and like ruins in Rome and in like you know uh, Central America and stuff like that like this is not a game through an aquarium it's not a game that feels like it should make sense it feels silly like you to describe it that way sounds silly but it's just so much fun and it's just so exciting and uh, and the vibe is you know everything I want from a from an arcade racer at this time so you know I know at this point Scud Race is a game that uh, anytime I don't know what to do if I'm on my PC I, I remember like hey I can play Scud Race I have that on my PC I make sure that any machine that I have it's going back to a laptop the MacBook Pro that I had in like 2010 every machine I've had has been has yep. had this game because it's my favorite game ever so yeah, it's uh, it's a special one to me, but I think that's the best part about Sega Racers. Everybody will have that one and that relationship. For me, it's obviously Sega Rally. So I totally know what you're saying. Like, it's one of the first things I try and get sorted every single time I get a new device. Yeah, can it run Sega Rally? Can it run Scud Race? That that's the Sega arcade racing game like.
So off of that, we will move into Le Mans 24. And what makes this game very interesting is that it, on the surface, seems a lot like Scud Race because it has, um, you know, a lot of the same cars. It has a McLaren F1 in the same livery. Uh, it has a Ferrari F40. It's based around sports car racing in the mid to late 90s. But uh, it is a very, very different game developed by a different team. A game I actually, for as much as I love all of these, uh, I, I didn't know that this game existed until maybe like 2014 or something like that. Like until I started like trying to get like the supermodel emulator up and running and like finding out like, wait, there's this game called Le Mans 24 and it was developed by Sega. Like I had no idea. So it was pretty amazing uh, to find a game like that <laughs> with how much I love Scud Race. And I, I went into it expecting it to be like the best thing ever. And it's uh, it's definitely not the best thing ever. Oh, no. <laughs> this is such a strange tale, man. Like, we talked about Sega Touring Car Championship having very distinct issues. This, this just, it doesn't, this sounds so daft, but it just doesn't have that Sega Arcade Racer feel for me. Anytime I played it, um, the handling, I don't know, it felt like almost simplistic compared to the other games that they've made. And then, um, yeah, just, I don't want to say the words cheap, the word cheap, but a lot of the game just felt very uninteresting or uninspired, especially given the kind of the subject matter of the game, like you were saying, you would imagine this would be like Scud Race cranked up to a living almost, or had the potential to be at the least. Yeah, so I, I don't know how long they took to develop Le Mans 24, because there is like no information out there about this game, because it's so not fondly remembered. Um, but they took a year to make Scud Race, from what I could ascertain, and this game feels like it was developed in a far shorter amount of time. Uh, so, so it was made by yeah. AM3, and that's interesting uh, for one reason in particular. We were talking about Sega Touring Car Championship at the top of the show. That was developed by AM Annex team, and AM Annex was spun out from AM3. And then AM3 is left to make this game with, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm making an assumption on those for a fact, but maybe a skeleton crew? Like, they, they lost, you know, their... The guys behind Sega Rally, the guys behind Manic CT, like they're all gone. So I don't know who they recruited uh, to to take their place. This game was developed by someone or di directed by someone named uh, Manabu Washio. <laughs> I've tried to look up other games that he has helped bring to life and was almost entirely unsuccessful. I think I think he did something for Final Fantasy IX. I don't I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh but 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 this game came out in September 97 in Japan. So it came out, you know, almost a year uh after uh Sega Super GT slash Scud Race. And this game has more cars than Scud Race. Uh, it has a few of the same ones as I said, but you also have like the 911 GT1, Sabre C9, Mazda 787B. So it has like a good small number of cars uh, across GT and prototypes. It also has the Circuit de la Sarthe. It's fully licensed by the ACO. Um, but if you, uh, I, I, I heavily recommend that anyone who has never seen any footage of this game watches some on YouTube because they shrunk 
uh, Circuit de la Sarth down. This is a track that normally takes, what, three and a half minutes to complete? Something like that? Yeah. Something in that realm? They shrunk it down to less than a minute and a half. So this is basically like half scale, less than half scale uh, Circuit de la Sarth. It's, it's like you you shrunk it down to like a, a scale electrics track or something like that. See, I love that about it. Like, I, I will say that's one of the things about the game I would say I, I like. Just seeing Sarf in that, like, weird, manipulated manner is quite trippy, to be honest, especially if you're very familiar with the track. It is super deformed, I think is the best the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you're, you're driving through and, like, for example, the, the four chicanes, you know, the very end of the Circuit de la Sarth, right before the front straight, those are tight and sharp and narrow and small in real life. In this game, it's it's hilarious because you don't, they're so close together, you don't even have to turn. You, you can literally straight line the entirety of them without moving your car <laughs> at all. Uh, it, it is incredibly small. They, they've added all of these uh massive gigantic advertising boards <laughs> billboards uh a circus tent uh all these like camp uh fairgrounds like weird yeah. just uh trackside scenery around the molson strait so it is very cartoony and that's actually like like you're saying you know that's not my issue with this game at all you know that's that i think is totally fine i think it's Obviously, they shrunk the track down so it would work for the arcade, you know, that's, and, and I think that's a smart decision. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just the way the game plays where it kind of all falls apart. Yeah, for sure. The, the kind of design choices taken for the most part are fine, because if you think about the general idea behind the game, as you've said, it's a, an arcade version of a 24-hour race. So it makes sense to go in the complete opposite direction and make everything look minuscule. And it sounds silly, but I even think the cars themselves as well, that they, they have... I've always felt as if the Scud Race models looked a lot better than what's here. Absolutely. Um, the cars and... Yeah. Yeah, it's, the it's cars have a weird toy car aesthetic, I feel. Yeah, the, the Scud Race models are super high res, they have interior views, they, um... They have reflections, they have everything... There actually might be interior reviews in, in Le Mans 24, I can't remember. But these cars look incredibly dull. I mean, that that's actually one of the surprising things about Le Mans 24 is it, it has like a dynamic weather and time system. So it has day-night change. I think yeah. those are like Model 3. Like those things wouldn't have been possible without Model 3. But I think if you look at the game, if you look at like a gameplay shot, start of a race in daytime, there's nothing about this game that looks like it couldn't have been done on Model 2. Because it just very flat very simple it's not a pretty game and it came a year it came out a year after scud race so it's kind of it's amazing not impressive. what <laughs> it's not impressive in stills but like in, yeah. in motion like you're saying that's what it, it, it emotion really looks better but but even then like it doesn't move with the same kind of smoothness of a of a scud race even nah. from a you know the, the the buttery smooth frame rate of scud race is is kind of absent from this game this this game feels uh, you know, it, it, going at speed in this game actually feels kind of slow, but also <laughs> not like like there are less frames of movement. It's it's very weird. Um, it doesn't look very exciting. That that's what I was saying when I was like comparing it to almost like toy cars and you said Skeletric as well in terms of the track because there's just like it doesn't 
I know we've, we've spent what time waxing lyrical about how good arcade racers don't have to feel like cars, but I feel as if this doesn't look as if it's actual cars racing either, and not in a good way. There's also other weird shit as well, just in terms of the, the track design, like you're saying, you've got those massive billboards and the, the kind of overdramatic scenery, but then there's also things like UFOs that go by in the sky and stuff like that. It's funny, I always, I actually miss that. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like, there's bits where the UFOs go by and then, like, it's just such a strange game, like... Le Mans 24 hour is a massive event, it just feels like they might have kind of played it up too much in the sense that it, it just doesn't feel like an, an authentic kind of arcade racer experience, it feels more like, like I said, it kind of has a cheap vibe to it and I don't think it's intentional because like you said, that the car list is bigger here, they have the licensing for Le Mans 24 hour, this would have cost quite a bit to make but it just, compared to Scud Race, it's not even close. Yeah, it's a shame too because I think there's some. Yeah, it, it really does all fall fall apart with the physics. And and what I'll say about the physics is, uh, I think this game. I like I like I said I don't really know anyone who likes the way the touring car handles, but I could maybe see someone being good at that game and like at least like learning it, learning its nuance and driving it. And me watching them drive it and be like. They get it. They make this game look relatively playable. Maybe there's something I'm missing. I cannot, yeah. for the life of me, say that about Le Mans 24. This is one of the <laughs> most awkward handling racing games I've ever played. And and it does suffer from a similar problem in my mind of, of touring car, as in, like, it's just... It, it just goes between extremely dull and just way too hyperactive. The, the cornering, I mean... You know, everything that we said about touring car applies to this game, but is even amped up where like just like cornering just does not look natural at all. The, the drifting, it's, it doesn't even really depend on throttle or anything like that. It's just like you turn the wheel and all of a sudden you're, you're sideways and it really doesn't make sense. It's really it, that coupled with like the sensory overload of the tracks that we're talking about, coupled with the fact that they they descaled de uh, Le Mans to such an, an extent that like these corners are half the length and half the size that you know them as, you know, <laughs> yeah. it just leads to this experience where it, it is very surreal and not fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I just flat out don't like the way this game plays, just up front, I, I would never willingly play it. Um, you, you, the cars just like pivot on this weird like central axis yeah. between the front wheels like and it's almost like there it doesn't honestly feel like there are physics in this game it feels exactly. like it feels like you're steering uh -huh. you know it feels like you're steering basically like an arrow at the front of the car and that's it everything behind the front wheels and the front axle has absolutely no significance even the way the chase cam acts as well, it's almost as if that car behaviour is unexpected, so like the camera yeah. is kind of jolting and tuned to the drifts. Yeah. Very, very strange game. And you know what's crazy? Uh, remember I said Naoki Hattori helped develop touring cars handling? He worked on this one too. He, you know, the, the, the Japanese driver, they actually got a <laughs> professional racing driver to help okay. develop this game's handling 
<laughs> they got the same guy, and it's not good. And I have to wonder if if it's him. Is this guy a good race and track? <laughs> He, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this episode right now who are just like, how can you sacri- uh, how how can you, you know, say such awful things about this guy? Because apparently he's uh he was also one of the the best motoring presenters. Um so he's he's a well-known driver slash, you know, car enthusiast person. Uh and and I I think we're, you know, we're slandering him, but yeah, it's it's just a messy it's a messy, messy game. And and they did have some good ideas here. Uh, you know, kind of reminding me of, like, sort of the approach that Sega Rally takes with its championship uh, system in the arcades, which was sort of novel for the time. Uh, th- this game, basically, you can do, like, a three-lap race if you want, but the real meat of the game is a 24-hour, you know, Lamar race, so they basically make it so that six laps of this track takes 24 in-game hours um so if you can if you can do six laps of this minute and a half long track you finish the race and if you finish the race you get to move on to an extra event kind of like lakeside uh where you're facing off against a porsche 917 you get this cool cutscene of a 917 driving out of a garage is like the devil car that you have to face to like beat the game and that's that's really really cool um and if you uh there's a timer that goes as they're, as you're doing the you know the 24 hour race, where you gain and lose time. Uh, you gain time if you are pa- if you pass someone. You lose time if you are passed by someone. So that sort of dictates the. Um, it's not so much about checkpoints in this game. It's more about overtaking is how you how you add time to your clock. Uh, if you run out of time, then you can put more coins in to to use a continue. So. I, I think that's a pretty cool idea. I think that's like a, a relatively intuitive way of of handling a race like the 24 Hours of Le Mans in an arcade setting, but it's just all let down by the handling. Just that simple. Yeah, 100%. I'm just I'm looking at some footage now as well, <laughs> and when you complete the 24 hours, it says you finish running for 24 hours. <laughs> that's, that's the funny so thing is you, you don't even have to win. <laughs> 24 hours of yeah. Le Mans to face off against the 917. All you have to do is finish. And in doing research for this, I, I discovered something interesting. I've, I've played this game on Supermodel, but not for very long because, as I said, I just can't wrap my head around it. But apparently, there's an issue with this game when emulated where the cars that should add to your timer when you pass them don't. And because of that, it is very rare that you will see any footage of someone playing Le Mans 24 unless they're playing on a dedicated cabinet where they will be able to complete <laughs> the race in one without using any continues because yeah. there's just something broken in the emulation or in the ROM where it's just not allowing that to happen. So it, it almost just adds to the sense of this game just being cursed because <laughs> there are just so many like oddities about it, uh, which is a shame because, you know, Again, I think I think the pitch is good. It's just a matter of the execution. Yeah, it's a creepy, cursed version of Le Mans 24 hour where everything doesn't look real and your car looks like a toy. There's UFOs in the sky. Basically, all the stuff that wouldn't quite be there in the real thing. 
Right. And I think if you had AM2 develop this game, you know, it, it, imagine if they had like yeah. a Scud Race 2 and this was Scud Race 2 and they, they also use a Scud Race engine on this, it would probably be perfect. But it's just yeah. it's just a matter of, of the confluence of all the things we talk about. And, you know, they even have... Uh, they have two bonus cars in this game. Well, one one is Sonic in a buggy, so that's actually a four wheeled vehicle. The other one isn't even a car; it's a motorcycle. Um, <laughs> and 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 speaking to how little is known about this game, uh, I only learned that there was a motorcycle option uh, by going on YouTube and happening to watch someone play this game and use a motorcycle. But if you look up any like faqs or like coverage of whatever coverage is out there of this game or like you go on sega retro nobody knows there's a motorcycle in lamont 24 like <laughs> it's just this game is lost to time the best thing as well is like see once you beat the game and the credits are rolling and it's showing the car driving around the track like the handling model in this the video that's shown almost looks totally different to the way any person would play the game because of the way the handling's so awkward. Like the car is kind of navigating corners smoothly. You that never see the AI drift to the degree that you just yeah. drift by yeah. trying to play this game normally, uh, which is really just kind of gives you a visual example of like uh, just how this game should play versus how it actually plays. I will say one nice thing about Le Mans 24 is re regardless of, of the gameplay itself, the soundtrack is amazing. And I think that's the one thing, the one takeaway of all these three games is while Scud Race is great and these other two aren't, uh, they basically, Sega more or less had the same people working on all of these soundtracks. So you actually have um, uh, Hiro and uh, Sei, Matsumura, Sei Matsumura. Hiro is a legendary yeah. composer within Sega who worked on you know, Afterburner and like all of these old games uh, and like Super Hang On and whatnot. Uh, he he worked on this soundtrack and it's it is a really, really good soundtrack and um, actually might be. I think there are more songs to it than there are even like in Scud Race uh, and it might even be a better a better soundtrack than Scud Races because it's just uh it, it really it really turns that sort of the race and jazz up to 11. It almost feels like um, it reminds me a lot of Rave Racer soundtrack and how weird it is. But it's good. Yeah, the, the, the music during the sprint race especially is like this weird like techno jazz mashup with like dialogue you, you might hear from an endurance race. <laughs> yeah, there's this one song where they, they use a sample and you just hear this guy on the radio go, it's midnight in Europe. Uh, it's very funny one of, the, one of the cool things about that 917 sort of boss race is that they play the title screen like attract music yeah, in that. that race which is like it's, it's just it's just really cool it really makes you feel like it's a big deal when you get to that point of the game uh, you know it's just again it's a, it's every a game should use that trick I love that yeah. <laughs> when the title music plays during like the final race or a bonus race well, I remember, like, when I was playing Sega Rally, I always wanted to make it so that, like, the... I wish they let you use, like, the replay music in races, or, like, I wish that they oh, let you man. use, like, play power games when you were, like, in a race, but, uh, yeah, it definitely makes you feel like this is a big deal. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, we can, once again, like you say, the, the Sega games, they, they very rarely miss from a soundtrack point of view, so good job on that, Le Mans 24 whatever, for everything else, um, I don't exactly miss it. <laughs> yeah, no, same here. So, 
<sighs> we ran through three games in an hour and ten minutes. I think that's actually pretty good because I was saying to you before a show, like, I don't know if I can spend less than, like, 45 <laughs> minutes on Scud Race alone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm amazed myself. We always say, let's try and make this one an hour. Um, and then it ends up the fucking three-hour Need for Speed Epic <laughs> or yeah. something like that. Um, but, no, this was a... A very, very concise but we st pod, but we still fit in a lot of information, so hopefully it wasn't an overload. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I just, I feel like I just, like, barraged everyone listening with, like, more information than, than is ever, ever a good idea to cram into an hour's worth of podcast, but that's how it goes sometimes yeah, I just <laughs> so. want to get you on the Twitch channel just like talking about Scud Race for like 3 to 4 hours I should I should play it so yeah that's actually a good subway uh, subway Jesus Christ I can't even <laughs> fucking speak anymore that's a good segue uh, because we, we have the time extend Twitch um, that's kind of a, a new creation you got <laughs> you got the Juicebox account to affiliate status and then you very cleverly <laughs> remade it into the time extend twitch channel so that was uh, that was a very move. smart move yeah for sure i mean it makes sense to be honest i think um clearly already just seeing the kind of reaction um it was a great idea for us because we're able to do these live shows that are a bit more unscripted and a bit more kind of ad hoc in the sense that we're just reacting to what people say, we're choosing topics like we did for the first one with the racing game intros stuff, and then alongside that you'll be able to find both our typical streams as well, where we might play Wipeout for an hour when you're trying your Elgato, like I did today, or um, when you're playing the kind of ra uh, Rage Racer and stuff like that as well, Adam. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be good. You'll you'll get the uh, the crazy, you know, just unpredictable fun of your streams and then the the very boring methodical i don't know what to play of my streams and then every now and then we will uh we will join forces and do something uh that is that is truly you know playing to both of our strengths but we we had we had one stream where we watched uh racing game intros and of course we had to watch the enthusia one so yeah that's the kind of what, stuff what, you can expect what an intro that is but that is um Certainly something. <laughs> yeah, so so the Twitch account is just at time extend. Uh, and as always, you can find us on Twitter at time underscore extend. And I think that just about does it. I don't think I don't think there's any more housekeeping. Uh, if you want to join the time extend discord, let us know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just ask one of us. <laughs> Special VIP invite <laughs> mode at the moment. Um, but yeah, definitely get involved in that. Not only do we have people who talk all the time in text chat now, we're getting more people talking in voice chat, we're getting game lobbies going. I mean, I think we've said it on podcasts before, but the Discord has quickly turned into the thing that I'm most amazed by that's kind of come out of the whole time extent venture, just in the sense that there are a lot of people out there who have equal passions for many different racing games that nobody would have ever thought of before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and as you said, like we're getting people together to do lobbies. Um, you got GT Sport, so we had a pretty good, pretty good GT Sport lobby last week, and trying to do more stuff around that. So uh, definitely let us know if you'd like to join. There's nobody who can't join. It's just we we just don't have a general invite link out there right now. 
And yeah, that just about covers it. So thanks everybody for listening and you'll hear from us again soon. Thanks for listening, guys.